You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, and welcome to Working Like Dogs at PetLifeRadio.com. Thank you for joining us today. We're your host. My name is Marcy Davis, and my co-host, my service dog, Whistle. And we're thrilled that you could be with us today to talk about working dogs and working animals. And you know, Working Like Dogs brings you the latest information about working dogs and working animals. And today, we're so excited to have our guests, Tony and Ed Ames. And Tony and Ed are adjunct professors of sociology at California State University in Fresno. And they have their Golden Retriever guide dogs, Keebler and Latrell. They also live with four cats, Bonanza, Kismet, Bambi, and Nifty. And Tony has been partnered with a guide dog since 1967 and Ed since 1981. And boy, we are so thrilled because they have so much experience in working dogs. They both have co-authored A Guide to Guide Dog Schools and the book Partners and Independence. They also have just completed an award-winning DVD called Partners and Independence that they're going to talk about today. And the list of accolades and experiences that they have goes on and on. So please come right back after this commercial break and join us as we talk with Tony and Ed Ames. We'll be right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Hey, ready to take a walk? Not just you, but the whole family. It's the 2009 Whisker Walk, Sunday, June 7th from 11 to 3 at the Lancaster Fairground in Lancaster, Massachusetts. Pet owners and animal lovers walk to lend a paw to benefit the animal shelters and pet charities they love. Come see exhibits, demonstrations, educational programs, special attractions, product giveaways, entertainment, auctions, raffles, food, fun, and things for adults and kids to see, do, and buy, both human and pet-related. Whisker Walk 2009, a fun day for everyone. For more information, log on to whiskerwalk.org. Having a rough day? Longing for the dog days of summer? Think your fun furry friend lives a dog's life? Well, find out everything you're begging to know as Pet Life Radio presents It's a Doggy Dog World with pet expert and award-winning author Liz Palaika. Every dog has his day, and you'll find out how to make your dog's day fun and rewarding every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. I'd like to welcome our guests, Tony and Ed Ames, to our show today. Hello, Tony and Ed, and thank you for joining us. Oh, it's our pleasure. Good to be with you. 
Well, we're thrilled that you could be here with us. I'm, I'm so excited. You two are, are two guests that I've been wanting to have on the show because you have such a wealth of information to share about working dogs. And, and let's just jump right in. Um, you two founded the International Association of Assistance Dog Partners. And I'd love to just jump in and, and talk about that. What stimulated you to find that organization? We were always involved with guide dogs and didn't realize dogs could do things for other disabled people. And in 1993, we got together with four other disabled folks, two with hearing dogs and two with service dogs, and got together with the idea of starting an organization to be a consumer advocacy group. So many of the issues apply to all disabled people working with dogs, things like retirement, what happens when a dog comes into the family and there's a non-disabled person who might have been somewhat of a caretaker before that, how do we deal with veterinary issues, how do we deal with training issues, Uh, how do we deal with access issues. And so we got together, just the six of us, and I think on our first meeting, which was part of Assistance Dogs International, uh, we had people get together, and I've got to take a break because the milk person just came. I'll be right back, folks. And I will then pick up. Anyway, we wanted to educate the public about what guide hearing and service dogs do for their disabled partners and also educate each other because, again, as guide dog partners for many years, we were very familiar with what uh, our dogs did for us, but needed to be educated on what hearing dogs did for their deaf and hard of hearing partners and uh, service dogs for their partners who have disabilities other than blindness and deafness. So that was the driving force for the origin in 1993. At the first meeting that Tony was talking about, we had about 25 people uh, participating in the founding meeting in 1993, as said before, and 16 years later, we have over 2,000 assistance dog partner members belonging to the organization. I was going to say, I'm a member of that organization, and I am just so thrilled that you guys took the leadership to establish it, because I know that for me, as a person with a disability with a service dog, IAADP is the first place I go for information of what's the latest out there about access, and anytime I'm having an issue, I love to go to your website and to your newsletter, which is just chopped full of great information about the latest issues that partners are experiencing. So that is so exciting. So tell me, Ed, I know the IAADP does so many different activities. What are some of the major accomplishments or some of the major issues that are going on right now? Well, of course, we always have our access issues. And interestingly enough, uh, in advocating for our membership, a lot of them relate to employment uh, problems individuals have where uh, they've been employed for a while, go through the uh, idea of partnering, training with an assistance dog, then come back to work with the dog, and all of a sudden, uh, there are lots of problems that never existed before. And we've 
just got oodles of those in hospital settings. Uh, our latest one is somebody with a hearing dog employed uh, in a park as a natural resource manager who is going through the problems at the present time here in California. One of the uh, nice ones we were able to settle through negotiation is an individual with a hearing dog who was employed at a school for the deaf in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And the principal uh, decided that having a hearing dog on the premises with a teacher was not good for the students, was not proper for everybody, didn't project a proper image, and we had such things as there might be phobic or allergic students uh, in the classroom. All of the arguments that come up in this situation, we are able to negotiate it between the superintendent of the school and uh, the individual with the hearing dog. They were able to determine that the law was on the hearing dog partner's side, and so he is now going to work with his dog. But those keep coming up, and the sad part is that somebody out there decides there's going to be no dog in my school, in my hospital, in my restaurant sometimes. So what those I, are still going What on. I find amazing is how transforming it is to get a working dog. Because I myself was kind of shy about speaking up for my rights. And when I got my first dog in 1967, my graduate school did not want to register me if I had a dog. They said they had no special facilities for a dog, and I could not convince them that all they needed was a floor for her to lie on. And my the uh, chairperson of my department said, well, take them literally. Just go to registration with a white cane. They never said you couldn't attend classes. So I did that, but always kind of worried that the administration would come after me. But it transformed me into really negotiating for my dog and then speaking up for my own rights. And this case Ed just mentioned of the uh, ecologist, she has had her hearing dog for a month, and she is going to bat. She's willing to go the legal route. Like no one's going to tell her now that she's found this kind of independence through partnership with the dog that she can't have her dog with her. And it's transformed a lot of people's lives in that same fashion. Now, another big issue for us at the present time relates to air travel with guide hearing and service dogs. About five or six years ago, a task force was put together by the National Council on Disability to look at the issue of establishing relief areas at airports throughout the United States and throughout the world. And we met uh, as a group for about two or three years, and then in the new rules that were published by the Department of Transportation last year, lo and behold, there is now a mandate that relief areas be established in all U.S. airports by May 13th. So we're talking about a month and a half from now. And so we're working with the Department of Transportation, with the Air Transport Association, and with a number of other organizations around. And we're also part of a coalition called CATO, the Coalition of Assistance Dog Organizations, to try to not just make sure that the mandate is carried out, but it's carried out properly. We've set up a bunch of guidelines. Of course, one of the big things 
that we're pushing for is establishing these guide dog or I should say service animal relief areas in the secured perimeter so that individuals will not have to go outside the secured area and then have to come back through security checkpoints to make a connecting flight. And so that's a big issue for us at the present time. And of course, where they should be established within that area, what the surfaces should be like, who would take care of them. All of those issues are being negotiated at the present time and IAADP is a very essential part of that negotiating uh, movement. Right. That is such a big issue at airports. And I'm curious, have they, um, when you talked about the different sites they're trying to designate, because once you get past the ticket area and past the security area, it's usually so inaccessible to people with disabilities because it's usually just stairs to get out to the tarmac or to any outside location. So how are they responding to that as far as accessibility to get a dog outside to a relief area? So far, we've heard nothing. The Department of Transportation has put out this mandate with no guidelines and no ability to monitor it. So they said it's up to disabled people to monitor it. One thought we had was where there used to be smoking areas just to set aside a little area where they can put down some kind of a surface within the building, not going downstairs and not having to deal with all of that. I'm not sure what they're going to do because so far nobody has responded to our request that we would be happy to provide some guidelines. Uh, Some of the airports have uh, the ability to go right out on the tarmac where the smaller flights land, but certainly not the bigger airplanes. So I have no clue what they're planning to do or if they're just going to ignore it and figure they'll pay a little fine if it ever comes up. But it's a big problem. If we have a one-hour layover in a big airport, there is no way we can go outside and come back through and make our plane. And I feel a bit guilty when I stop off at the restroom knowing my dog can't do that. And it would be really nice to have an area that we could just you know, get the dog to and then go on to our flight. Absolutely. An alternative that somebody suggested, one of our members suggested, is uh, there are areas where there are banks of telephones that have been set up for travelers, and they're almost never used now because most folks have cell phones. So everybody's running around an airport talking on their cell phone, and you've got these areas that were set up with huge banks of telephones and are not used anymore. Said, so why not put it in there? That's so there an are idea. All kinds of suggestions. Mm-hmm. Well, I know I have that same problem with my service dog as well because we travel quite a bit. And one of the things that I had to do this, but I trained my dog how to go to the bathroom on a disposable pad. You know, one of the medical pads that people use because I was traveling internationally and I had to have some option for him to be able to go to the bathroom. And there was no place, like you just said, Tony, I couldn't get out of security and get back in in time for my flight. So luckily, and with the universal bathrooms now that are in a lot of airports that are larger, I was able to do that and and that works for my service dog. That's great. If you take the time and ability to train your dog to do that, that is certainly one of the best answers to the problem. But I think it's not the answer 
for many people, little dogs are often taught to go on pads. Right, but right. No, I, it's not the best scenario. You're right. And I'm so thrilled to hear that IAADP is working on that because that is a huge issue that needs to be addressed. So we're going to take a commercial break right now, but please come back with us as we continue talking with Tony and Ed Ames. They've got lots of more great information to share with us. And please come right back after these messages from our sponsors. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Greetings, human. What planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Coast to coast and around the world, it's All Behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All Behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Every week on demand, this is the place for a special paparazzi treat. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs. We're visiting today with Tony and Ed Ames that are talking about the wonderful work that they are doing with the International Association of Assistance Dog Partners. So we've been talking about the issues with air travel and access. So Ed, was there something else you wanted to go ahead and say about that? Not really very much. These are sort of constant issues that uh, keep coming up. How can we travel best with our dogs? Uh, how can we make sure that the public is aware of what our dogs do for us? And in relation to that, we have just released a DVD also called Partners in Independence, like our book was called Partners in Independence, that shows the work performed by guide, hearing, and service dogs. And that's available uh, from us uh, as a donation to IAADP, and uh, you know, we'd be delighted to distribute it to anybody in the audience 
I think you're going to have all the information on the website, Marcy. Yes, absolutely. But let's go ahead and tell our listeners, just in case they can't get to the website, because they can order it online, and it's such a reasonable cost. Of It's $15, is that correct, Ed? Yes, it's a $15 donation to IAADP, the International of Assistance Dog Partners. And uh, the check is then made out to that organization and sent to us. That is Ed Ames, E-A-M-E-S, 3376 North Wishon, W-I-S-H-O-N Avenue, Fresno, California, 93704. Great. We're very delighted with this uh, DVD. We're showing it at our veterinary school lectures uh, all over the country. And it was actually premiered at a meeting of Assistance Dogs International in January in Florida. So we're very, very delighted with it, want to get the word out, want to get as many copies of this distributed to the general population. And we also have a veterinary version that is great for the education of veterinary staff and for clients in veterinary offices. That's excellent. And I another thing uh, that IAADP is working with is with the Department of Justice to try to tighten up the definition of what is a service animal. There is certain language in the in the original law. For instance, they talk about minimal protection. And the idea they had back in the early 1990s was that if somebody collapsed or fell out of a wheelchair, the dog could get help. And that was their concept of minimal protection. What we're finding now is that people are uh, doing attack training for their dogs and saying, well, I, you know, I, I'm afraid uh, of being alone or I'm afraid of being in a crowd, so my dog is trained to bite. Well, that is certainly not what we perceive as a well-trained, well-behaved assistance dog. Uh, and what was the other language change? Oh, that there's a, a big controversy now between what is a comfort dog and what is a trained service animal. And there is a huge difference. Even someone with a psychiatric condition can certainly train a dog to be of assistance, to bring medicine on command, to bring the telephone. If you, if you have a bad migraine, for instance, and you can't get out of bed, to do a number of tasks but simply by having a dog with you because you feel better having your dog with you, feel more secure, is not a reason to have legal access. And because the laws are so muddied, a lot of people are doing that and saying, well, I'm disabled, and my doctor said that when I have Fluffy with me, I'm calmer, and therefore I have the right to have Fluffy. Well, they don't. It's not, that's not part of the legal mandate. So we've been trying to work with the Department of Justice to tighten up their definition. Now, it's been uh, in almost uh, 20 years since the Department of Justice initially published its definition of a service animal. So that's under review at the present time, and we may see some drastic changes taking place there. But I want to underscore what Tony said before, that it's task training that becomes the essential defining element of a service animal as opposed to a comfort 
support animal, whatever we want to call them. Uh, and that is the essential ingredient. Beyond that, of course, all of our dogs have to be well-behaved in public, under our control. All of those other things that any good animal in a public setting should uh, be able to do. But it's that task training to mitigate the impact of the disability. My guide dog helps me negotiate an environment that I don't see. Uh, for somebody with a hearing dog, that dog helps to alert to sounds that the individual does not hear. And of course, for folks in uh, wheelchairs, uh, the service dog may help in the retrieval of dropped items, help get in and out of chairs, all sorts of different uh, trained tasks that are consistent, reliable, and the disabled person can depend upon to help in his uh, you know, disabling condition. And it's right. interesting because we mentioned earlier the individual who is the ecologist, natural resource person, and what her uh, manager is now suggesting is that she leave her hearing dog in the car <sighs> rather than oh. the dog with her while she goes about doing her rounds out in the park setting. Uh, she is so saying no, but he does not realize the tasks that this dog does for her in alerting her to lots of things that she's not going to hear in that setting. Right. So I have I have two questions to ask you about this. This is really interesting and something that I get asked a lot about in talking about the regulations because people always always say to me, you know, like you were saying, my pet Fluffy, you know, makes me feel better, so they should be considered an assistance animal. And there really there are no regulations right now. I know when I was looking to get a service dog, I looked and researched as I would for anything that I'm about to purchase or invest in, and that was I looked at the different agencies and what their requirements were and what kind of follow-up care they would give me with my service dog. But I was so surprised to learn that there were no regulations. There were no requirements by law you know, that they had to do any kind of certification or any type of official process. How is the Department of Justice viewing regulations for assistance dog organizations? We do have, through Assistance Dogs International, some well-developed standards of what a dog should know, how much training should go into the dog, Certainly, uh, IAADP has a whole section on training standards because many people do train their own dogs or hire people to work with their dogs. And so the, those standards are out there, but unlike a driver's license where there is a federal organization that gives you a test, and the test is relatively the same whether you're in Kansas or New Jersey, uh, there is no such ability within the assistance dog movement. You know, who would give this test and how knowledgeable would they be and how would you get there if you lived in a remote area? Uh, so it's, it's very difficult. Right now, the Department of Justice does not require any kind of certification. And <clears throat> what an, a uh, storekeeper or hotel manager can do is ask a couple of questions but, of course, you could very easily lie about it and say that your dog helps you, that 
the person, the entity, cannot ask what your disability is. And if you say, this is my uh, service animal and the dog is trained to mitigate my disability, you don't have to go into specifics uh, because they say the specifics would then tell what your disability is. If you say, I don't hear sounds, my dog is trained to alert me, you'd be admitting that you're hard of hearing or that you have seizures or whatever. So it is so loose. We would love to see some kind of ability to punish people who uh, falsify their disabilities, falsify their dogs. But right now, if a dog is well-behaved and appears to be with a disabled person, the storekeeper, or as I say, hotel manager, just has to let you in. Well, and my second question that I wanted to ask you and, and hear you talk about is, you were saying how you were helping an IAADP member deal with some employment issues that we've been talking about. So tell me, how does someone join IAADP, and what are some of the benefits of being a member? Well, we have a very active website, which is www.iaadp.org. That's the basic contact mechanism for joining the organization. We have applications available on the website that can be downloaded and filled in. We also have a database manager who can be contacted to obtain an application form. The number there is 814-746-4127. And that's a number in uh, Pennsylvania, so it's East Coast time. And our database manager, Buddy Brannon, would be happy to provide whatever additional information there may be. Benefits, oh my gosh, we've done so many wonderful things. Let, let, me, let me also give our 800 number. Yes, please. Uh, if I can find it. <laughs> That'd be great. For it. Okay, while Tony's looking, we have a bunch of benefits that have been negotiated with some wonderful companies like Bear Animal Health, Fort Dodge Animal Health, Nutramax Laboratories, uh, the Avid Microchip Corporation, uh, uh, Novartis uh, Animal Health, we're able to provide for our assistance dog partner members free flea control products, uh, joint maintenance products uh, from Nutramax Laboratories, heartworm preventatives, uh, rebates on Fort Dodge vaccines when the veterinary uses that product of that company. We also have a relationship with uh, KV Vet Supply, major catalog company for 15% discount for our members. Veterinary Centers of America Hospitals provide fee discounts for our members. Uh, a number of veterinary teaching hospitals attached to veterinary schools provide discounted fee structures. We've, we've tried to put together a package of real benefits that will decrease the financial burden assumed when an individual partners with an assistance dog. Okay, let me give you the 800 number or the, not eight, the free number is 888-54-IAADP, which translates to 
four um, two two three seven. Well, that is wonderful, and I could sit here and talk to you guys all day. I'm so sorry that we're out of time, and I hope that you'll come back and join us again on Working Like Dogs because I think there's so many things that we can talk about, about ongoing issues and all of the accomplishments and activities of the IAADP that I think our listeners would love to hear more about. So tell us again, Tony and Ed, if someone wants to support the organization or if they want more information, how can they reach you through your website? www.iaadp.org. And if they want to get a copy of the DVD, you can contact you guys at the address that Ed gave earlier, which was 3376 North Wishon in Fresno, California, 93704. And they can also get a copy of your book, Partners in Independence, that way also, correct? That, yes, and that's at a cost of $20. Okay, excellent. Well, I want to thank our listeners so much for joining us. Um, We've enjoyed being with you today, and we look forward to you coming back and being with us again. We want to thank our sponsors and also invite you, if you have any questions or comments or ideas for a future show, please email me at Marcy, that's M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. So thank you, Tony and Ed. And we look forward to joining our listeners again at Working Like Dogs. Thanks so much. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.